Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Wild Bo's return... Ward, Wild Bo's return to the world of parahumans. <laughs> My name is Matt Freeman and... Whoa, watch it, Scott! Oh, you kind of ruined the joke for me now. You just... <laughs> hold on, let me let me get back in... Like, let me get back into character here, just... <laughs> what? You're getting blood all over over the podcast. We're dissecting it, Matt. There's gonna be some blood. Huh. Never thought of it that way. That's right. It doesn't work. I mean, it it arguably worked. And then you fumbled the intro for the first time in two and a half years. It's because you were complimenting me on how I've gotten better at this. (laughs) Anyway, this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bill's world of bloody messes, the multiverse's best comment section, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, the epilogue is really starting to heat up, Matt, as we discuss chapters E4 and E5. First, it's time for Riley to return to civilization. At first, there doesn't seem to be a place for her, but she quickly finds a path forward through tea time with Kenzie, who also lets out that she's got a secret. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Then it's time for another fancy technology chapter as we check Victoria's email and then listen in on a phone call between her and her therapist. It's kind of creepy. Um, but Kenzie's deep, dark secret is revealed. Tristan is in limbo. Fuck. Uh-huh. Matt, uh-huh. what'd you think of these two chapters? I love them. I mean, the I mean, Bonesaw is always a character who I love spending time in, in her head because... It, it's such a such a strange kind of character like like you'll never meet anyone who's really quite like Riley Davis but yet it's completely relatable right like that that's I think that's kind of one of the most amazing things about Wablo's characters is that there can be a character where you're like it's it's a former mass murdering um uh basic I guess she's a w- woman but she's trapped herself in the body of a 12 year old so that she can but but like you relate to her is the thing that's is is that's amazing um and then of course i i think it's a fantastic you know beautiful idea to to sort of loop back around to the kind of the the uh, the motif of glowworm having the you know the internet chapter the the email chapter um uh and i i just uh just I i found that delightful um just kind of aesthetically yeah i mean the thing that i am kind of most interested in is the idea that i mean e4 kind of holds true to our standard um epilogue structure right um basically the 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 structure that one two and three had the fourth one has where we take a point of view character that's outside of one of our main characters and we use them to explore one of our main characters and how they're doing uh after the end of the story um five 
really bucks that trend in interesting ways. Like it's structurally different. Obviously the, the, the device of the chapter is very different from the writing, but it also differs in the tone, how things are organized, where we start versus where we finish is very different than the other chapters. And that's really interesting, right? Cause we have this pattern, this established pattern across the verse four. And then this one kind of throws out that out the window yeah. and goes somewhere else. Yeah, it is interesting. The, the, the closest you can say is that, well, we sort of check in on how Tristan's doing, obliquely but we're, we're there's so much other stuff going on there like okay we're we're, we're basically following yeah. victoria because we're following her her web presence and her phone presence um and we haven't checked in on byron yet which is i think one of the things that was surprising to me i figured we would we would go we would check in on everybody first and especially uh, you know we definitely get byron before we got to tristan if tristan was still around and, and we didn't mm-hmm. do that um i guess another thing that i'd point out is is like yeah uh, e four is more on, on the on the trend, but um, I did think it was interesting how we didn't really. I, I guess we did spend plenty of time with Kenzie. We we did spend plenty of time with Kenzie, but but I thought it was really delightful and and, and interesting how we just kind of obliquely touch on Chris, and that's it. And I and I I, I have a feeling that that's it. Like we're not going to see any more Chris. Yeah, um, I, I have a lot to say about Chris. But yeah. I think I think that's it, and I think it's fitting that that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think when we look at these two chapters in particular and E5 specifically, like this is a cross chapter plot line that's happening here, which is not something the epilogues have been doing, right? True. The epilogues have been just like, okay, the story's ending and here's a scene where we're going to like show you, we're going to kind of go back over the thing that was, that our character was suffering from and then we're going to leave them at a good place and then move on. And now these two have kind of established a cross epilogue plot line, if we want to call it that. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go. Um, I think it's going to be wrapped up pretty quickly i mean obviously i think we only have two chapters left so it's gonna be wrapped up relatively quickly but that is a change in how the epilogue was uh ordered and uh, i want to spend some time talking about that when we get to the chapter but we haven't actually started talking about the chapters yet so maybe we should do that that's true we we got remarkably ahead of ourselves we did Um, i think we're just excited yeah i I think we are but i I wanted to just before we move on i just wanted to, to to remark like i think the way I would frame the the kind of cross epilogue plot line is that everything up until this point has felt like, oh, we're just we're just allowing everything to come to rest. Mm-hmm. The end. This is how this character is doing. This is how this character is doing. Uh Oh, plot. There's more plot happening. And that's what was surprising about these. chapters. Yeah. But part of me thinks and I'm again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Part of me thinks that this is just not a trick, but like we are literally sucked into plot and the end of that chapter is Victoria basically being told, Hey, no, 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 Uh That's not, we're not doing this. The story's over. You're not doing this anymore. Like this is someone else's problem. Now you do, you take care of yourself. And and I I really think like, like I don't, I'm not entirely convinced that the next two chapters are going to be Victoria helps deal with the Tristan problem. I just don't think that's going to be what they are. I don't, it doesn't feel like that's what it's going to be. So I think it's almost as if the story is kind of like in, in a metatextual kind of way, almost allowing itself to get sucked back into the idea of plot. And like we, the reader, I mean, I love this book. So I'm like there, I'm like, yeah, oh fuck. How are they going to do this? How are they going to fix this? What are we going to do? But then it's like, nah, huh, the yeah. story's over, buddy. The story's over, Scott. It's, it's over. Right. Step back. 
right? Pull Darnall back. on the phone. We the Victoria is all plot. Yeah, Darnall's all no, no epilogue. not plot, not epilogue. plot, epilogue. Yeah, I love <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Chapter twenty dot e four. So Scott, let's talk about opening lines because I mean, Wild Bill is really great at these in general. And here we have, please don't get blood on my car seat. <laughs> Which is just a perfectly arresting line, right? Like you're immediately in. You're immediately full of questions. What's going on? Who's blood? Why? Who's speaking? Right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's really great. I, I agree with you 100% that that line in particular is great. And I was curious after I saw you write this in the notes and I went back and looked at all of the epilogue opening lines, um, at least E1 through E4, and they're all similar in this regard. Like the first line of E1 is, I hoped going in that I would be able to see your face. That's Chevalier. E2 is, I hate this, Chastity thought. This isn't what I'm good at. E3 is, there's so few of us now and still so many humans, Jacob said. And then of course this one, E4, please don't get any blood on my car seat. Um, in all four cases, it's an arresting opening line that is dialogue. Either it's you know literal spoken dialogue or Chastity's internal dialogue. Um, and it, it not only establishes the tone for the first half of the chapter um, and maybe the chapter as a whole, but it also kind of slyly sets up the main idea of the chapter and the character as a whole, right? Because if we look at these, in the first one, Chevalier is stuck in the past and part of the chapter is him realizing that the past doesn't have any answers for him that opening dialogue line really hits the mark on that. In the second chapter, Chastity is working through this constant hurtful internal dialogue and, and trying to gain an ability to trust someone enough to have a relationship with them um, that is that is beyond the physical, let's call it, um, that is something deeper, something more. Um, in the third, Jeff, the nice number boy, is searching for a direction in the world in which he has no place, and he's searching for a companion or companions that can give him that direction. Um, so listening to his former companion, his only friend Jacob, talk about how few of us there are here is pretty fitting there. And, of course, this one, Riley, uh, is returning to a civilization that may or may not accept her, and the opening line is someone worried about her bleeding all over the place because that's what she does. Um, yeah. it, it is engaging and it hooks you, yes, but it's also thematically relevant. You you can do multiple things with writing, and I think that's why these intros work is because they are doing double duty. They're hooking you and they're relating thematically. Absolutely. I, 100%. I'm really glad that you pulled all those out. And especially on this one, I agree, right? Like everyone who sees Riley they have that they have that reaction to her like oh my god she you know not literally she's going to get blood and everything but blood is going to be everywhere because of her uh, and it's yep. going to be because she did something awful um and she has to constantly be aware of that fact like and, and she and she is it's 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 sort of exhausting for her to to know that everyone is always on the verge of you know attacking her out of self defense or just pissing themselves um yeah that's, yeah that's basically how the chapter begins um so I mean, it literally is. So, yeah. 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 So what's happening, of course, is that Riley is riding in this car doing some complex surgery on her own leg. <laughs> uh, she she briefly touches base with her select Omniphage, which is fun. Which she's named Omnom, which is just is perfect, Matt. I just love Riley. I love I her so much. She's great. Um, she's just constantly delightful, even when discussing stuff that's scary as shit. Yeah. I'm imagining someone doing surgery in a car on a flat paved road, uh -huh. let alone a road that's in a city that like has gone through an apocalypse and there's, there's debris everywhere. It can't be that, that straight. Like it's gotta be terrible. It seems like a horrible, horrible idea to be doing the surgery right now, uh -huh. but I think it fits 
into this central idea that we really see in this chapter that Riley feels this almost constant need to, as she puts it later, keep her hands busy, always tinkering, always maintaining, always altering, always doing something to keep kind of the 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 shard at bay a little bit to keep it satisfied enough to where she doesn't make a tongue in cheek person. Yeah, this this sort of is self-soothing in, sure. in a sense, yeah. right? Like. I don't remember exactly why she's even doing this. Is is this important? Does she need to be doing this right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that what she's doing is prepping her lab, right? Like, yes, because what she does is she removes the marrow from her bone and then puts her um, basically everything she needs to get a new lab up and running. So I think yeah, it's yeah. like a it's it's basically like a contingency plan. Like she's about to turn herself in. She has no idea what's going to happen. Um, she's. I don't know how optimistic she is about how she's they're going to treat her. Um, but I think she has a contingency plan and she's yeah. making sure she gets that done. Well, that, that's that. I think that that goes with what I was saying, that basically it's a self-soothing behavior and, and it's a uh, it's an it's a it's an anxious behavior. It's from yeah. a place of anxiety. And, and, you know, that's what really strikes me about her. She doesn't think of herself as being anxious. She doesn't mm-hmm. use that word. But like her whole ever since she left the nine, it seems like. Her paranoia is just off the charts. Sure. Like, like the, the, she's always taking like multiple layers of steps to protect herself. Like just the, the thing where uh, where they sent somebody to go talk to her on her planet and like she was talking to them through a puppet. Um, that, that was just the perfect example of it. But e- e- even yeah. here, like she is turning herself in, which is a huge step for her. Obviously very difficult for someone who has such issues with losing control and feeling afraid and, and feeling threatened. Um, but, but even so she's kind of giving herself a little, a little, um, I don't want to say out, but like a little solace here. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what she says to Kenzie, I think reflects on her behavior at the beginning of the chapter because she's like recognizing that this is going to be difficult, recognizing that she's going to backslide, that she's going to screw up, but just keep going forward. And that's kind of what she do. She's doing whatever it takes. She's keeping herself busy. She's, she's maintaining and yeah. and that is that is I think the the motif of the chapter maintain um, exactly and and that's exactly what she's almost almost both metaphorically and literally by just keeping up her her body because I mean that's something that I never really thought about this idea that like we've always been told that tinkers just like need to constantly be doing maintenance on all their tinker shit but her tinker shit is her body yeah. and so like. She just has to constantly be maintaining herself constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think we'll, I think we'll go into that more as we go because mm-hmm. it's, just, it's so rich, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I really love the character that, that Bonesaw has become this, this mature young woman who has struggled against her issues, who, who has relapsed, who has found a kind of equilibrium with the dangerous parts of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, she'll still do stuff like this where, um, you know, he chides her for, you know, maybe making a mess. She says, besides, even if I did, I'm pretty experienced at cleaning up bloody messes. His laugh was nervous and unsure. She smiled. Um, so she's she's messing with him. Right. But like yeah. but like it's a playful way. Right. It It's not she's not trying. She's not really trying to scare him. It's <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think she enjoys that she does scare him, but she she doesn't want to push it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of towing the line. And I think yeah. I think a lot of this is like riley is a person who likes to mess with people and like 
in the past that has taken the form of some of the most cruel, horrifying things she's done ever. But I mean, she's gotten better and she's working at getting better. And 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 that has she's changed in some of those regards, but she's still a person that likes to to mess with people. Um, and, and so I like that that like you don't become an entirely new person when you're trying to like not become a psycho murderer. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's a phrase that's ever been said before, but um, <laughs> I, I just think like, I, I appreciate the attention to detail and the fact that like there are parts of her personality that are recognizable still, even though she doesn't act on some of her worst impulses anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I just, I like it better this way than if she had just completely shut off all of those impulses and, just kind of silently rode in the car, right? Like, like there's yeah. still some of that bone saw in, in there. She's trying to find an equilibrium. I think she's learned that she can't really live without letting any of it leak out. Right, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a balance. Yeah. You can't go full Riley. Um, obviously, she doesn't want to be full bone saw, but you can't go full Riley. That bone saw part is still part of her, right? Yeah, it's, it's the constant, the constant riding the knife edge between, between, the two i guess i mean it reminds me of when she uh when she gave uh swan song like stabby stabbies inside of her arms mm-hmm. and she was just like look like i i i have to put weapons in things i'm sorry <laughs> right right yeah i can't i just can't help it yeah 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 um yeah so uh she asks her driver for a favor in remembering to take out the patch job that she installed when uh, she and the warden's HQ crashed into an alien earth. She muses about how she's never quite gotten around to reversing the changes that she made to herself to freeze her apparent age at 12. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot in this little part, right? I I think the first thing I I was really intrigued by this, remember like this, remember to take the patch job out thing. Um, Because I think it, it sets up this interesting dynamic where she's a person that whose brain is just like constantly spinning and worrying to the point where she ultimately just like loses track of shit, like loses track of what she has and hasn't done in her own body. Right. Um, and, and, and this is kind of introducing the idea that she needs other people in her life. Like I think she at the, at, in this moment waves it off as I usually have my assistants do things like this, but her assistants are like monstrosity, like clone monstrosities that are just like ordered to do whatever. And she's talked multiple times about how incompetent they are and how annoying they can be at the, at, at their mess ups. Right. Um, like the question you have to ask is if those assistants were such good replacements for people, why are you here? Why, what mm-hmm. are you doing here? Right. Um, right. but I, I think like it's just, it's, it's really great. And I, I really love the idea that like she needs to be reminded about these things cause she's going to forget. Like there's just like so much going on in that head constantly that she's just going to forget. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, as you're pointing out, I love this this idea that she keeps going back to repeatedly throughout the chapter where she's like, I had my whole world to myself, mm-hmm. a whole world to be my workshop. And and yeah, she's giving all of that up because she knows that that's not good for her or it's only good for the part of her that she wants to get under control. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what she says to Kenzie later on, tinkering is not enough. It's it's not enough to just tinker like that's not enough for me. It shouldn't be enough for you. It's not enough for anyone. Um, and so she's choosing here to recognize that. And, yep. and, and I want to talk about the little throwaway line about her age here, because I, I think this is really interesting. We made this big deal in Worm of, of the fact that um, 
Riley was a, a little girl who, over the course of a certain part of Worm, grew up a little bit. Um, she grew up by a couple of years, or at least a year and a half or something. And then, um, right near the end of Jack and the rest of the nine sleeping, she decided to um, to undo all that. Um, and and this is this is this was really like thematically interesting, right? Because like her growing up symbolized her changing nature, her, her ability to start recognize her problems and and not exactly feel bad for them, but how interlude 25 and Worm put it, realized that she should be feeling bad for them. And so that growing up was a symbolic part of that change. And then at the end of that interlude, she undoes it. She reverses it, um, partially because she felt stuck and trapped and partially because she felt that it's what he she deserved. And there was this one line. I, I reread the Bonesaw interlude chapter, Matt, because I love it. And it was it was wonderful. But yeah. there's this one line that jumped out at me on this reread. This wouldn't be a penance that would suggest penitence, but it'd be just as best as she could figure. And so, Matt, a few years later, Maybe that's why Riley just, quote unquote, hasn't found the time to reverse the aging process. She's definitely not playing the part of the child anymore, right? Like, no, we, we can say definitively the character we've seen in Ward, especially this chapter and, and the one before it, she's not doing any of the like the giggling or the childish talking or any of that kind of stuff. She's really not doing that anymore, especially in this one. Nothing of her dialogue or thought process here has any of that kind of kitty type behavior. That's all gone. But on the outside, she's still the same looking person that that instantly recognizable child monster. And she might be for 100 years, she says. Um, and I, I, maybe like this is this is part of that same idea of penance, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that she f may feel like she doesn't deserve to leave this behind yet right sure as you say she's instantly recognizable she 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 shows up at the place everyone immediately knows who she is and craps their pants right and um she could totally change her appearance like like easiest thing in the world she could right. probably do it with her eyes closed but not only does she not change her appearance she doesn't even let herself change naturally mm -hmm. she she thinks she deserves to be this person this instantly recognizable person Th like this instantly recognizable nightmare person who who everyone knows to be afraid of and and that and i think that that feels just to her and yeah. may, maybe even it feels like there is penitence at this point in time i, I mean sure. she she doesn't say there is but um she she turns herself in. I think I think honestly turning herself in here has more to do with knowing that this is the best thing for her. Yeah, than, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think this is about justice. Th this particular decision, um, but I do think I do agree with you actually that that keeping her appearance this way has more to do with justice, um, at least maybe subconsciously. Yeah, I mean it sure would make her day to day existence easier if she could walk around without people recognizing bone saw right like right and you're absolutely right like she could she could do that super easily that would not be hard for her at all and yet she doesn't she doesn't do that um yeah uh it's it's very interesting and i think it's very like i i when i the first time i read the chapter i read it I was like ooh, maybe by the end of the chapter we'll get like the the the, the way we'll leave riley is this realization that oh i need to grow up now and that's not where we, where we leave her like she doesn't have the i'm gonna undo I'm going to undo the blocks that um, that have not allowed me to age. Um, she doesn't get there. She doesn't do that. Uh, but like she does 
definitely seem to like internally she's not pretending to be that kid anymore either like this right. is just like an external how other people view me thing yeah yeah i think the closest thing to to any of the of the kiddiness is is wanting to have tea with people which is i mean adults do that too in fact sure. that was a swan song thing so yeah 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 um i love i love all of that uh yeah and uh, let's hold off on talking about the end until the end sure yeah we keep skipping ahead this yeah. week it's it's so, so i think so, i think chapters that aren't terribly plot heavy lend themselves to skipping around because you you're looking at the whole structure of the thing that this text has done which is woven throughout the the whole chapter in a way where the linearity of it doesn't matter so much so mm-hmm. I, I think that's why that's happening just to get to give us a little break there <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, she squelches the marrow of her thigh bone into a universal lab in liquid form. And then she muses about the phrase tongue in cheek, which is like horrifying in a very specific bone saw kind of way that I just love. Uh-huh. But I think it goes to show you specifically like how the mind of a tinker works, right? How one thing catches in your mind and then you, you just kind of run with it and just automatically coming up with all the most amazing slash awful ways of doing something. Um, and it makes me wonder, and this, I haven't thought about this too much, but it makes me wonder if tinkers specifically have a harder time of this concept of moving forward of, of recovery of acceptance than, um, than maybe some of the other capes do because like if I'm Victoria and I'm like, okay, here's my problem. What do I do? to solve my problem and then you come up with some strategies and you try those strategies if you're a tinker and you're like okay here's my problem then your power goes all right i got it here's what we do we do this we do this we do this we do this boom um you just make this machine it'll solve your problem i need to learn to accept and love myself Uh, bio tinker i can do that Uh i can can make i can make your brain i can do that you here here's the here's the blueprint i got it it's right here um i I don't know if that's actually true but it just like it, it it would make sense how like we're le- we're at the end of the story and the one character that's really struggled is Kenzie and still struggling. I mean, they're all struggling. Let's let's be honest here. But like she's had, I think, the hardest time get- moving forward out of any of these characters. Yeah, it's it's been more two steps forward, one and a half step back sure. with with Kenzie for sure. Um, yeah, I think I feel like we've talked before about people with mental powers tending to have a harder time in certain regards, um, mm-hmm. like, like, like sensory powers or, or thinker powers or what have you. Yeah, where that, like, that's fair. It's not just tinker. Yeah. I think like a, like a, a, a thinker power would have a similar problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in anything where it, where it directly distorts your, your own, your own literal thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's a continuum, right? Like, but, but I, I get, I get your point. Like the fact that her, her brain is really, you know, it, I think that's one of the genius things that Wablo has done with, with the powers in general is that so many of them involve intrusive thoughts and intrusive thoughts are extremely relatable. Like, like that's so, so, so many different manifestations of mental illness and, and, and just the struggle of being human is intrusive thoughts of, of various kinds. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so having this power where um, anytime anything happens, especially if she's afraid or, or angry or, or perturbed, her power starts telling her how to take people apart for, for their spare parts and build them into monstrosities. Yeah. Um, and, and accompanied with that, it seems like she has like an itch to actually do something about it, too. It's not just um, like she wants to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it's very uh it's very convincing that this would be a really hard existence. And I, and I agree completely that Kinsey probably is dealing with the same, the same type of thing. Right. Like imagine 
like, I mean, it, it, like, I am terrified my friends hate me. I wish I knew whether they liked me or not. Yeah. And then your tinker power goes, oh, well, yeah. here's a, it's a, it's a, a sound camera. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's a, here's a past camera. Right. You can right. see what they said in the past about you. Like, it, like, it's sure. a, here's, here's some helpful stuff. Yeah. I can solve this problem for you. Yeah. I want to know if my crush likes me. Ah, ah, I, I can, I can detect her physiological state. Yeah. Just it, here, here's a blueprint. Here, Bam. here. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> this will make everything better for you. Yes, it will. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so eventually though, after she's having, you know, a bit of fun imagining what it would be like to rearrange high concepts head, he catches her staring uh, and, and says, it's hard to shake the feeling that I'm going to regret this job. <laughs> I'm paying you good money, high concept. Why would I go through that charade if I was going to kill you or give you a cosmetic mutation? Uh-huh. High concept's <laughs> voice had a higher pitch to it. Uh, we only see this person for a very short amount of time, but I already uh-huh. love him. Um, I, I like that, like, it's so interesting that high concept is a villain here, right? Like, he's he's labeled a villain. That's what she calls him. That's his... I guess operating status in capedom, but like it just goes again to establish the the difference between villain and like what the slaughterhouse nine were right yeah that that here's this guy, and he is very, very freaked out by this whole thing over and over again um and and i the concern about blood money was really interesting too, like like is this blood money, and she said, "I didn't earn this hurting anyone, and he's like, "Not that I wouldn't take it, but I wouldn't spend it as freely if I knew that, which is no. which is just perfect no, this is just if Seth Rogan triggered you know <laughs> like like he'd be he'd be a villain because he obviously wouldn't be a hero, but like he wouldn't like be a try hard villain sure. yeah I'm like Seth Rogan listens to this podcast, and he's going to be like, "Hold up." I wouldn't be a hero. The fuck, Matt? And then pretend I like did a really good impression of his laugh and then we can move on. Yeah, let's <laughs> <laughs> just splice that in right here. Yeah, right here, right here. Yeah. Um, so once he finishes operating on her leg, I really love this moment where Riley looks out the window and we see kind of another view of the, the ongoing survival of Gimmel here. And it says the city was being patched together in a way without the civilians there. It was easier to do the necessary work. The cracks were being paved over and what they're and where they weren't in position to do the paving. They had a quick deploy bridges crisscrossing over the gap like structures. Buildings were actively being knocked down if they were hazardous and the ones that were stable were being supported and added to. So I really like this, Matt, like we're, we're rebuilding. We're like, we're not moving. Like we said at the end of, uh, at the end of the arc that we didn't think that our characters were just going to be like, all right, next world, let's move up. Let's leave this one behind and move on to the next one. And we saw last week that that wasn't happening, that they were scavenging. But I love that we're kind of, we've kind of moved along in the timeline a little bit here. We're seeing they're paving over the gaps. They're putting bridges over the rebuilding. And it's just a- another angle on what's happening in the big picture as we're focusing on these small character moments. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think we, we've, we've seen a lot of this stuff happening in the, in the background. There's been a lot of really fun, like uh, quick, uh, rapid kind of passive description of the things that are happening in the city. And um, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's this kind of hopeful uh, hope amongst the ruins type type attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So, 
Anyway, Riley then walks into the local warden's office and turns herself in. Uh, I love the description of how people react to her rea- her arrival, just the fear, the freezing in place. Mm-hmm. Off to her right, someone stepped out of a doorway with a washroom sign above it, saw her, and turned around, disappearing back inside. Um, just, uh, just so, many, so many great details where you can just really put yourself in this in this scene it's, it's yeah. really beautiful yeah i love the reception guy attempting to type but just like fucking up constantly yeah and i love the text is like type type typo type typo like it's just it's just really really great um yeah and of course the thing that matters is not only is it happening but that she is aware of it happening right like she is fully conscious of every single one of these people and what they're doing and what they're saying and 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 how her attitude is um is influencing that like she's keeping her hands out of her pockets so people have less reason to panic and and actually really until she starts getting kind of the invasive pat down that she thinks is stupid because she could easily hide things that would never be discovered in a pat down. Like she's keeping her annoyance with it like in check pretty well um, because I think she's recognized like the thing that is so interesting about this point of view is that Riley is like terrified and nervous about this whole thing. And I think her point of view does a pretty good job of disguising that Um, she kind of feigns annoyance and and, like, like it, it isn't, except for a a few key moments, we really see her nervousness come to the fore where like that she she just doesn't know what's going to happen here. Yeah. I mean, we have to go out of order here again because this is critical is that it's only at the very end of the chapter. um, I'm literally going to scroll ahead because I want to say the exact quote. Um, It's only toward the very end of the chapter where she basically decides Okay, I don't actually have the quote. She decides that there's like actually hope and she says she says she'll stay the course. Mm-hmm. And and to that like that implies to me like at this moment there's actually some doubt whether she'll she'll actually stay the course. Like she she's she's not she, things weren't working for her where she was cuz she was lonely and she's going to she's going to give herself over to these guys and really hope for the best, but also like I think maybe her her actual expectation is that things are just not going to be great and there's a good chance she'll fall off the path. There's a good chance she'll have a relapse. Like I think I think that's what she's afraid of. I don't think she's mm-hmm. afraid that like they're going to attack her because I think she knows that she can handle them. I think she's afraid that she's going to have a relapse and turn back into bone saw. Um, yeah. Like like to the extent she's afraid they're going to attack her. She, yeah, she's afraid they're going to attack her and she's going to fuck them up and then and then go on a killing spree or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, what I love, <laughs> I love when she's worried about getting shot. She's like, it has nothing to do with like getting hurt. Right. She's like, I'll, I can operate on very little levels of blood and that will freak everyone out and that will complicate things more. Like it is, yeah. it is less concerned with her own physical well-being which of course makes sense because she's like just can't die she just can't fucking die um uh-huh. but it's 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 very i don't know i think she is i think she is concerned about the way people are going to treat I, I mean i totally agree with you she's terrified of backsliding that that is why she's decided to leave because she said the place where she is most likely to continue on her path forward is here back here among people um, but I also do think she's pretty afraid of what people are going to think and what's going to happen, because I think the operation that starts the chapter is happening because she's giving herself an out. She's got one foot out the door, kind of yeah. one one uh, leg lab out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think um, I think she's really I mean, I think at, at root, she's nervous that she just won't be able to 
find any human connection at all. Like it'll it'll just be they'll put her in a cell and she won't be able to do her tinkering. And then right. I, I think that she kn- she already kind of knows that that wouldn't be acceptable to her. And she'd probably try to find a way out. So like, yeah, she's, yeah. I think that's part of what she's nervous. There's, I think there's, a, I think it's fair to say there's a lot of different things she's nervous about. Sure. Sure. Um, but as you say though, none of it is telegraphed to us really. It's, it's all, you kind of have to dig into it. You kind of have to notice things she's paying attention to. Um, because obviously she seems cool as a cucumber, like, like everything about her demeanor is yeah. probably downright intimidating, but, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you that she's, she's pretty uncertain. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think it, it's one of the ways in which I love Wild Bo's writing when he shifts perspectives like this because the the text, like, I think Wild Bo characters in general tend to be fairly introspective. Like, they think about things a lot, and we are party to those thoughts. Um, and and not, I'm not saying Bonesaw Riley isn't thinking about things here. She obviously is. But I do think her thoughts are a lot more reserved and guarded than some of the other point of views we've seen mm-hmm. um like compare chastity who i think was just very very aware of everything that was going on in her head um to the point where it became like destructive i think bone saw it, it definitely like i love that you can feel the personalities in the different chapters mm-hmm. i agree yeah yeah absolutely um yeah cool so uh i think there's like an interesting um like shadow on on rain's choice from the last chapter like a reference maybe because you know riley has like dallied on her isolated planet but but then she decided that it's not good for her so she's turning herself in and it, it's very it's very much a reflection of kind of what rain did or what rain chose to do yeah i mean it is but i think like i think riley is much less interested in penance that than rain is like yeah. i think they're hugely different people and 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 their choices for being okay with like surrendering to the system are very different. But I do agree with you that it's, it's a couple chapters very close to each other in which characters are basically going to the system and saying, okay, I think this is going to be best for me in the long run. Um, it's interesting like to see two characters that are so different from each other approaching that same idea though. Yeah. I think that's what's, that's what was fun to think about is like, it's actually hard to figure out what is similar about it other than the superficial level of, well, they're turning themselves in. It's like, yeah, but (laughs) very different situations for both of them. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So eventually she is, uh, she's checked out superficially. She's ushered back into the cell block, except there's no free cell for her. So they just kind of leave her in the hallway. And, uh, it, it says, she wasn't sure where to go or what to do. She had been on the fence about coming because she'd been comfortable and free to tinker where she'd been, and nothing was guaranteed here. Not freedom, not companionship, not safety. Now, finally here, only to find there wasn't any place for her, she couldn't imagine going back. I, I love that. I love that, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I, like, now she couldn't imagine going back. Like we said, she she walked into the situation kind of with one foot out the door with a contingency plan in place, um, not sure, terrified, and already here, even in a place that that seems like it might not have a place for her, she's already like fully cognizant that she's made the right choice here, like that that staying there was bad. Um, yeah. I, I love it. And, and like you said earlier, like, I think I don't think we can overemphasize the fact that she was free. She could do whatever she wanted. There was no one there to tell her what to do. Um, And none of that is guaranteed. Like the thing she wants here is companionship. And that's not guaranteed here. 
She still wants freedom, but maybe a more structured freedom. She wants safety. Um, none of that is, is guaranteed here. Yeah. They have no idea how the wardens are going to react. Um, and yet she's, she feels that she must do it. It's worth the risk. Trying to find your place is worth the risk. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's one thing, you know, an, another kind of common motif across these uh, epilogue chapters so far have been the search for home, right? The search for your place, your home, both literal and, and um, metaphorical. Like, and I like we spent the Sveta number man chapter, like Sveta is literally searching for her home right now. Um, number man has found a home with the malfunctions. Um, Chastity is, has kind of found a home. She's moving to become part of the city. Um, I think Chevalier like is re-engaging with an old flame, yeah. um, maybe searching for like that. That seems to be a common motif across these chapters here. And, and so that's what Riley is looking for. I think a place to belong. Um, yeah. And it's so perfect to me that, she makes this big choice. I want to go back. I want to find my place in the society again. And they don't have room for her. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think it's such a perfect image of getting to the end of that hall and just being like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like she, she's, she's actually rather desperate for mm-hmm. some kind of humanity, some, something to ground herself um, and I think that I think that shows through like she gets to the end of this hallway and, and her thought isn't, oh, they don't have a place for me. I, I should leave. I should go back. This is the wrong choice. She thinks, oh, well, I mean, I guess I'll just wait here until they figure until s- s- something reveals itself because I can't yeah. go back. Yeah, I think that's really like that shows kind of I think that shows how low she actually is. Like she she's such an interesting character because. She doesn't give us the typical cues. It's almost like Kinsey with the smiling where like it, you really have to read between the lines, I think, to get a sense of how kind of close to the edge she is to, to have come back at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how lonely she must have been to have come back. And, and uh, right. yeah, I maybe mean, that's because we opened the chapter with her, like casually doing surgery on her leg while like shooting the shit with this random villain and intentionally telling jokes to make him uncomfortable. And it's just like, look how cool I'm doing. Like, yeah. I'm totally fine. I'm chill about this. This is my choice. Like, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's really interesting how the tone is kind of played with there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Riley wakes up after having kind of dozed off in the, in the hallway uh, to a commotion as the chicken tenders have arrived for their daily uh, <laughs> daily uh, visit to see Chris. Yeah. Um, they aren't being allowed in because Bonesaw is there, but this doesn't stop Kenzie from sneaking into the cell, uh, the cell block, the, the, the hallway, and almost getting ganked by Riley. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first of all, the fact that the tenders, like that's the name and it's sticking forever, that makes me feel real good. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I, I, it is interesting. Like I understand why Kenzie is here to see Chris. Like, I think it's both adorable and weird that the entire team has come with her uh-huh. and presumably comes with her every time. Right. Like, I would, yeah, I would guess like maybe it's just like they, they just like they're worried about her and just like are going to come with her to make sure that everything's okay or that Chris doesn't do anything that hurts her or anything. Like, I think it's adorable. I think it's really adorable because none of these people have any kind of connection to Chris. It's literally just her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I just, I mean, 
it's this is i mean uh, this is months months mm-hmm. months yeah we we learned that it, this the winter's over here right so yeah i think the book ends in november i think uh-huh. it is so yeah she's been going every day for yeah months we don't know we don't know necessarily that there haven't been breaks in there but like just the idea that it's been months and she's she's still visiting chris every day is and chris probably has never said a fucking word yeah him. chris just continues to be a complete piece of shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so so matt we see here that kenzie basically goes stealth mode to sneak back and chat with riley is that re- refresh my memory is that the first time we've seen like a full stealth suit from Kenzie. I, I think so. I couldn't remember another occasion where she had a invisibility cloak. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember plenty of times where she was not actually somewhere where she sent herself as a projection, but I think mm-hmm. this is actually flesh and blood Kenzie uh, with a stealth suit, mm-hmm. So, yeah. which seems like it would be right up her alley. Really? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, this is of course something I fully believe she could do and it strikes me as really cool, but also like scary uh-huh, right <laughs> like i can't help but just be like oh kenzie can already see everything uh-huh. and now she can be there without being right. seen we're, we're really escalating yeah 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 um yeah so uh with with each of these interludes i think we're getting more more of an impression of time passing you know like like you mentioned kenzie tells us the winter is over uh she says things are rough but the cape stepped back and they let the humans handle their own business um Riley actually, she says, you know, but they got to do it on their own with just the help they wanted. And so we're getting this sense that there's a much better balance being struck between the capes and the humans. Right, right. And I I thematically, I love that we're not sugarcoating anything like that. Winter was hard. People died like that happened and there was nothing we could do to stop it. And so it was going to happen. And this concept of no one person can save everyone. No one group of people can prevent all death. All you can do is work together. You ask for help when you need it and you try as hard as you can. And that's all you can do. That's just existence. And yeah. like it was hard and it was rough and, and people died. Um, but like that's you're absolutely right that that like it feels like we've struck a balance. We've we've come to an equilibrium between these superpowered people and regular people um that they will assist and they will be there as long as they are wanted but they are not going to unilaterally act for the good of mankind anymore mm-hmm. um that they're just not going to to behave in that way um which i think like we again to go back to our this this idea that agency is one of the most important elements of this book of having agency keeping it like being in control and having the choice and making your own decisions and not having them made for you um i think this this equilibrium seems to support that idea. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, yeah, perfect, perfect. I, I do, I do love this recurring beat that Stealth Master, like Invisible Stealth Master Kenzie, can't keep her voice down because uh-huh. she's just so excited to be here talking to Riley. Um, it's adorable. It's it's so perfectly consistent. It's so well done, right? Because yeah, like yeah. Ev- every everything she says, she's either like obviously too loud, and then right, and then Riley kind of gently tries to shush her, and then she's like slightly quieter for one second and then gets loud again <laughs> yeah, yeah and and she's she's just so she's just so excited to have made it to have made a new friend yeah um which i mean speaking of that like it's so it's so perfect that these two would meet up right because like they, they they have this shared background that they can talk about in terms of like being being tinkers who triggered young uh they, they talk about ashley they talk about damsel and how damsel hired 
uh, Kinsey for a job and spoke three words to her. Three whole words. Yeah. I, I love I love that in particular. I mean, with the exception of Chris, who we'll get to in, in a minute. I love that we're like even leaving some characters that the story proper ended with very little hope, with a little bit of hope, right? Uh-huh. That maybe this idea that she'll come around and realize something eventually. This could literally just be Kenzie optimism here, but I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is maybe maybe some growth, a, a minute bit of growth in Damsel of Distress. Um, yeah, I, I read it that way as well. I read it as like she wouldn't have hired Kenzie in the first place if she wasn't on some level open to this this idea of of like a real connection yeah um what do you what do you think the three words were um i don't i don't know i I, I think it was that was adequate (laughs) (laughs) okay now that you've said that i can't possibly do any better so that (laughs) definitely had canon accepted okay um cool uh yeah so riley and kenzie agree to have tea together at some point um, and, you know, I'm sure that this this is going to go over real well with Kenzie's uh, other new best friend, Brian. I mean, that's very funny, but it might, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I had to make the joke, but but also like, you know, recovery. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I the, the idea of, of Brian and, and Riley being like the coaching team that takes care of Kenzie uh-huh. is like the most delicious, wonderful concept in the world. And we're going to talk about. Uh, why Riley is like the perfect person for Kenzie in a bit and why I'm mad that I could, I never saw that. But um, I, I think, I think it's really wonderful that Brian can speak to a very specific part of Kenzie and Riley can speak to another very specific part of Kenzie and that together, maybe not like together as in like in the same room together, but with their powers combined, Kenzie can have a support system that actually make pushes forward and makes progress. And instead of the three, the two steps forward, one and a half steps back that you mentioned, maybe, maybe bump those numbers up a little bit to three forward, one back, something like that. And and maybe I am being wildly, wildly optimistic for the perihumans universe, but like maybe, you know, uh, Brian has been struggling with this, with this trauma for, for a long time. Um, he couldn't even get it fixed by doing spite by kind of doing radical things with Valkyrie. But, you know, maybe, maybe he could actually like have a, have a little sit down with Bonesaw and, and see like that she's different now. And, and maybe that could, could turn the key in his brain that, that all the other stuff didn't actually do, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Interesting. Yeah. I know I'm being, I know I'm being optimistic, but yeah. it, wouldn't it be great if, if, Brian could be freed of of that because that's something that's been hanging over him for for the whole like the whole story. It would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, I I think that's a a long way off. But but yeah. 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 So uh, Riley gives Kinsey the lowdown on breadth and depth, uh, explaining at least in part why Kinsey's power has its hooks into her so deep. Mm -hmm. Um, She says. So I, I, I pulled this out for a very specific reason. She says. Depth, it's the connection to the power. You dig that well with violence, conflict, desperation, fatigue. It becomes like a friend. But you don't make a lot of real friends that way. Lookout nodded. I know people like that. So uh, who do you think Kenzie is uh, thinking of here? It's our, is it our favorite golden force field flying protagonist friend, perhaps? I mean, that that was my first thought, honestly. I mean, like you see, you read a sentence like you dig that well with violence, conflict, desperation, fatigue. And uh-huh. who's the first person that pops up in your mind? Like those were, yeah, those specific words, right? Because she could have said like, like she could, even if she left off desperation and fatigue, I probably wouldn't have gone to Victoria immediately. Mm-hmm. 
but but yeah, I definitely went to Victoria immediately. Yeah, and, and of and course, we, and of course, yeah. it becoming like a friend is very yeah, very pointed as well. Um, yeah, yes, exactly. But and th- Victoria doesn't have a ton of friends either. No, she's got she's, she's got, got some. Her, she's got her some. She's got, got a, uh, Vista and yeah. um, Sveta. Sveta. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I really love this moment where Lookout says to her, we're the same age. And Riley stops her. Right. Riley yeah. says, hey, hey, no, we're not um, I, I, like circling back to that entire discussion we just had earlier. They are not the same age. Riley looks like a 12 year old girl. She's not. She's yeah. 16, I think. Right. I think she's somewhere around there. I think she was, she, she was 12 and then she grew two years and then she and then she made herself look 12 again and then two more years happened yeah yeah she ought Um, to be she ought to be it's funny i did that i did this calculation differently the other day but yeah i think 16 makes sense to me teenager teenager yeah so she's older and and i i love this like kenzie looks at bonesaw and sees her as me right like this is she's a tinker like just everything you said she's a little girl she triggered at the same time i did she's a tinker this could be a friend my best friend um and and really what bonesaw is going to end up being here is more of like a mentor like a sponsor situation here and i I love that she stops her here like she could have just been she could have just let the we're the same age thing go but riley is not 12 she's not and so she's like no, we're not the same age. I am not this person. I am an older person that has that has had more life experience and has gone through this stuff than you. And I think it helps. It helps like reframe the dynamic between them in a place where maybe um, maybe she's able. Kenzie's able to take it, the advice in a way that she wouldn't if this is a 12 year old like me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, if anything, this is she's closer in age to, to Swan song than she is to, to Kenzie. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's closer to that kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, everyone always talks about how impossible it is for anyone to deal with Kenzie, but like Riley is, is, is rightly like I've dealt with some fucked up people, Kenzie. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's like some but, of the, yeah. the like no one no one can be worse th- than these like you <laughs> yeah. there 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 are very few things you could ever do in your entire life that would be worse than what these people have done. Yeah. Um right. and and our and our people as messed up. Yeah, it, it yeah. it's perfect. Like oh, yeah. it's perfect. It is. It's so good. Um Yeah. Um yeah. So so after Kinsey swaps some uh, some recipes with Riley, some some tinker recipes. She asks if there's a way to bring people back from the dead. Uh, Riley decides that she doesn't believe Kenzie's small smile. Uh, <laughs> Kenzie hints that uh, she did something, something very embarrassing, which which we know is Kenzie code for just just the worst possible thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll, fi- we'll we'll we find out what that is in the next chapter. So maybe we'll hold off on the discussion until then. But it is kind of an interesting note to exit this chapter on right like the big the big theme of this week's podcast matt is how these chapters are different from the other epilogues and while i stew i still do think we're leaving kenzie on a slightly hopeful note here in that i think riley is one of the most perfect people to be in her life right now um it is an interesting change that we we 
like you said, there's plot now. We're, we're, we're leaving this chapter on plot. We're leaving this chapter on concern for Kenzie. We're kind of falling back into the same habits we, you and I had all throughout Worm, where I was constantly like stressed about Kenzie. Yeah. Um, and, and so every other time we've left our epilogues in a place where we felt pretty good about the characters. Here, uh, not so much. But I, I still do think with the assistance of Riley, Kenzie can take steps forward on her path. Um, but it is a little bit of a different tone here at the end of this chapter. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, what Riley says to her is, is hopeful. It's all it's all hopeful, but but there is this question mark of like, well, how how is this going to fall out? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So Riley tells her um, the secret uh, to moving forward with problems like theirs is to maintain, keep yourself in working order. And I j- I just love how this is written so much. I I could just like tape this up in my house somewhere <laughs> keep your hands busy if your hands are a problem go to places where you know you can be stable even if it means leaving a workshop that's the size of a deserted earth to seat yourself at the end of a prison hallway then you either keep maintaining or you relapse when the relapse happens you watch your world implode and then you pick up the pieces and start from the beginning contemplate prepare take necessary actions and maintain uh it's it's so good yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the whole book, right? I mean, this is yeah. the whole book and, and each epilogue has imparted this lesson on moving forward on, um, acceptance on survival tailored to a different member of breakthrough that was struggling through the lens of another character. This is Kenzie's, this is Kenzie's version of the central question of the story, which is how do you move forward? How do you move forward on your path when your life has been awful when the worst things in the world has happened to you when you've done some of the worst things in the world how do you do this um this is the answer to kenzie's question that's why i think that's why i think despite the big secret we have um we are ending on a slightly hopeful note for kenzie still um yeah I, i can't get over how wonderful like logical and duh this is matt like when we were looking for someone earlier in the book who could really help Kenzie. I think you, I, and like half to all of the fandom went dragon, dragon, dragon and defiant. Look, they're tinkers too. And they're awesome. And they're kind. And she could be like their little kid and it would be so adorable. But when you take a second and think about the people that were able to get through to Kenzie, the most, the first name that jumps in your head is swan song. Not the great, adorable, like, couple that's perfect. And it's Swansong, a person who's had this dark, complex life. And in that vein, Bonesaw is just perfect. Maybe even better than Swansong. Maybe she can do things. She can, like, reach out to Kenzie on a level that not even Ashley could. Um, Like, I I don't want to fully relate this to alcoholism because... I don't want to relate like tinkering to alcohol. That's just a complex. I don't don't like it. But I think the fact that relapse has been used here, we are kind of relating it to addiction in some way. Right. And so like in Alcoholics Anonymous, in Narcotics Anonymous, you get sponsored by someone and it's by another addict. Like, it's by someone who has gone through the same thing you've gone through. Like, and I think in that regard, Bonesaw is just perfect and i don't know why i didn't see it before i mean maybe it's because she's so removed from the story and outside of most of it it's just not a thing that i i was really thinking about at all but it is just perfect someone experienced with this exact type of recovery 
are the best ones to help out others with their recovery. And that in turn, as we see textually in this chapter, could also help Riley on her path as well. I think it could. Yeah. I mean, I I think I think that that deserves attention, right? This idea that she she's sort of I think she sees herself as having had a relapse recently, which is interesting because on the scale of, of bone saw, it really wasn't much. Right. What happened was like an accident happened. She was teleported to this other other planet. Um, Jessica got paranoid about something she was doing and it led to an altercation where she used her she like she like had to she injured Jessica but and and, and then like obviously felt so horrible about this thing that she exiled herself to another world by herself. Mm-hmm. And like on, on the scale of like things Bone Bonesaw has done in her life <laughs> that ranks pretty low, right? But she mm-hmm. still felt so bad about it and and really I think considered it to be a relapse and uh yeah and yeah. And, and, and and you know so so like I, I do think that somebody like Kinsey on the flip side could give her kind of a, a bit of perspective, a bit of, a bit of balance. Um, I think they can help each other. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, the great truths is that like teaching someone else teaches you as well. I think yeah. I've learned more about reading and books and analysis, like sharing that with the world than I ever would like just doing it just reading this book normally. Right. So it's like, and not that we're teaching. I'm not a teacher. Jesus. No, not even close. Teachers are amazing. Not close. But my point is that like, I, I think, I think this is absolutely true that, that Bonesaw is good for Kenzie and Kenzie and taking care of Kenzie or, or, or taking on some of Kenzie's burden is good for Bonesaw. Yeah. I, I mean, this is one of those things that's just, I, I love that it's here at the end of the story because it allows us to just, be just imagine what what would happen next mm-hmm. and that ne- we, we're never going to get to know and that's beautiful i like it better that way i do yeah i do me too me too um and i love i love this this final moment where um uh basically kinsey has said like okay i, I did something you know i i she, she she says uh you know in reference to what bonesaw had just said like well i guess the implosion is coming soon mm-hmm. and and then she turns on her invisibility and before it can fully activate um Riley sees that her face just kind of falls and, and she sees she sees how how poorly Kenzie's actually doing. And the text says Riley reached out because she felt that same weight and weariness. She connected to it enough that she felt compelled to make some kind of physical contact. Um, it's, I, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. Like, I mean, there's our motif of reaching out. That's been a connecting point throughout the story. Um Riley seeing that fake smile, I think is just a perfect overall symbol of the way in which Riley sees Kenzie that others can't or don't, you know, like that, that she's been with her for 10 minutes and she's already seen through Kenzie's like most long established coping mechanism, which is the the fakeness of the, the smile. Um, she's like, she's immediately. And so it's the perfect, like it's the perfect, I see you. I understand you and I I can even see you when you're hiding and when you're bullshitting, because I do think you're right that like bone saw the, the theatrics of bone saw were for a while, um, a similar thing for, for Riley. Absolutely. Um, The, 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 the little girl act was absolutely that it was covering up. It was, it was camouflage. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I like that a lot. Actually, that's a, that's a 
great pull. That's a great parallel. I didn't think of that. So Kinsey vanishes, and then the capes come to bring Riley to her apartment. She gets her own apartment, Matt. Not a cell, an apartment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, She tries to make a parting overture to Chris, uh, who replies with his accustomed snark, of course. Yeah, and this, Matt, could be uh, how we leave Chris in the story. And I I think this is a heartbreaking but extremely fitting end. I I have loved Chris throughout this entire book. I think he's a wonderful character. I think he's deep. I think he's complicated. And I think his, uh, his, the end of his story is disappointing. And I think it's, it's a designed disappointment, right? Um, cause he never did the work. He never tried. He, he was always too afraid to take those steps. Riley came back to civilization because she recognized that it was the best thing for her. Chris, never made that choice. He never did that. Um, he came close a few times and then he backed away at the last minute. And like, so to be this end where like that we see, he's just silent and sulking. And, and the perfect part about it, I love, I love, I love that Kenzie is still visiting him every day because it's almost as if to say, you still have an opportunity. You still Uh have a choice. It's right here in front of you. There's still a human being right here in front of you willing to extend some, some love, some acceptance, some community to you. You don't deserve it at all. Right. You've done nothing to deserve it, but it's still there. And you still every single day, make the choice to, to deny yourself of that. And yeah, I, 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 it's just, it's just the perfect end for him. It is like, really funny because while Bo could have made it different, like it, it could have been Chris is alone. Nobody cares about him anymore. And that means he's right. Right. Because right. I was right all along. The world is dark and no one cares. No one mm-hmm. really cares. But, but no, Kenzie's still coming. Yeah. Even, he's wrong. even if he turns his back to her every day. Yeah. He was wrong about literally everything. He's a little baby. And as long as he continues to deny that, he's going to be alone and miserable. And here, uh, here I'm going to quote Dickens here, Matt, because there's a line from A Christmas Carol that I think works perfectly here. As as uh, the ghost of Christmas past shows Scrooge uh, himself as a young man, and he's promised in contract this woman named Belle they're going to get married. Um, but she eventually releases him from his contract because she says he's become more obsessed with money and his insatiable greed than with her um and as she releases scrooge she says may you be happy in the life you have chosen and it's this wonderful line like it's like so much emotion there and that's me with chris right now matt that's what's i hope you're getting what you wanted chris may you be happy in the life you've chosen goodbye you little piece of shit (laughs) yeah i i agree that you know this this ending for chris satisfies me about as much as uh, you know, trickster getting murked like halfway off screen and, and, and without <laughs> comment where we're like, it's a character who I love and I couldn't be more satisfied with his ignominious death. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same goes with Chris here where I'm just like, yep, you, you suck. Yep. <laughs> Stay in the cell. I mean, there's a chance we'll see him again. I, I would be totally fine if it was just snark ass, stay in the cell, you know, enjoy that. Bye bye. The end. Yeah. 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 I will always there's still two chapters left as long as there's chapters left I am never going to say anything definitively but I would be surprised if we yeah. saw any more Chris. Well, well think just think about what a perfect ending it is on the level of he was he was always afraid of being put in a cell and observed. That mm-hmm. was literally the thing that he hated. He hated to be in a box and he hated to have people 
tapping on the glass and looking in at him. And he's got people peeking through the little food slot at him in his cell. The exact yep. thing that he was wanted to avoid. Yep. He just he he like walked himself right into the situation. You 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 chose it and you yep. choose it again every single day, Chris, because even a person like fucking Bonesaw is getting her own apartment. Uh-huh. <laughs> Seriously, he didn't even do anything that bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not this version of him certainly. Yeah. I mean, he did some horrible stuff well, to Victoria. Let's, yeah, sure. but like yeah, not yeah, yeah. not on the the wide he, scale of he, Bonesaw. Yes, okay. He he did some he did some bad stuff, but but like I think that he probably I think what I think the attitude was like he earned himself a lot of cred with his with his giants and yeah. probably could have just been fine based on that. Yeah, there was there was yeah. definitely an opportunity there yeah, for him. I mean, for sure. like. It, it, Riley like it is no it is no accident that we have the two people that worked or were supposed to work together to create the solution that saves the world talking to each other one of them leaves um one of them leaves to go to her own apartment the other is stuck in a cell um, yeah, the, yeah. He, he this this could have been his moment like he could have been the guy that saved the world yeah um yeah yep so um <laughs> Yep. So despite being rejected by Chris, Bonesaw decides that uh, she can, you know, if if she can't have a real connection with someone like Kinsey, then there is hope for her. And so she decides she will stay the course. Yeah. And so we might still be worried about Kenzie. TM, 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 TM. Uh Uh, We do leave the chapter feeling pretty good about Riley. Um, Yeah hopeful about her life going forward. So I think in that regard, this does match up with the other epilogue chapters where we leave feeling pretty good about our point of view chapter or character. Um, we, I, I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. She's probably going to relapse a few times. Hopefully people won't die when that happens, <laughs> but uh-huh. um, you know, you, you pick up the pieces of your destroyed life and you move on. Yep. Love it. Um, all right, Scott, let's move on into 20.e5. Right. And here we have uh, point me at the sky logs in again, checks her email. It's very nostalgic. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so this is this is just like mostly going to be kind of hitting all the main points because like it it's sort of a listicle wrapped it up of like of like wrapped up plot threads. Um, I mean I, I love how it's executed. Um, it serves as an epilogue chapter in much the same way that Glowworm served as a prologue. We've got like passing hints at stuff that if we think about it indicates certain specific re- resolutions for certain things, but we don't yeah. go into it in, in detail. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I tend to really enjoy these internet screen chapters as like creative writing endeavors. Like it's just a new and interesting way of telling a story. And so I I really enjoyed Glowworm. I like it here. It also, as we spoke about at the beginning of the show, marks a change in the epilogue structure in a couple ways. In every epilogue before this, we've had that side character point of view that primarily dealt with their own path to recovery and that kind of mirrored or ran alongside, ran parallel to a member of Breakthrough and their path forward. That changes here. The point of view here is not a person. It is technology. I mean, it's technology surrounding Victoria, but we're seeing chat logs, a phone conversation, email. Um, Those are the type of things we're seeing. We're not actually seeing through the conscious mind of anyone in this chapter. Um, Also, every other chapter, the tone starts off pretty dark and ominous and then quickly swings into this kind of very hopeful and upbeat ending the literal exact opposite happens here where the first half of the chapter is like, like 
warm and fuzzy and makes you happy and seeing how all these characters are continuing and moving on with their lives. And then it shifts to to plot, scary, trouble. Yeah, true, true. I, I think there are reasons, there are specific reasons why it's doing that, and we'll get to those. But I was wondering what you thought of the overall epilogue structure, you know, those chapters and then this one kind of shifting things up. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know because I, like, like it was definitely a surprise to me. I'll, I'll, I'll say that I, I really thought that we were, I mean, Wablo never, never lets anything get stale, but I thought that I understood what the epilogues were going to do. And, uh, and, and this definitely threw me for a loop in terms of like how it feels when it ends. I, I, even having a chapter that was, you know, another glowworm like internet chapter felt right to me. I was like, oh yeah, like, okay, we're touching, we're, we're touching upon the glowworm stuff again. And, and much of it does feel like you said, really like lighthearted like uh yeah it's Annalise ah they're gonna hang out they're gonna see a movie oh it's oh Sveta Sveta sends her links sometimes that's cute um but then yeah then then it ends in this like slightly ominous way where you're like okay well uh what are we gonna do about this Mm -hmm. but I think you're onto something with what you said earlier about how like yeah but Victoria doesn't need to do anything about that like, right. Like this is just her tendency to be like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? No, nothing. You you can't do anything about this. This is yeah. not your responsibility. This is just like it, it'll get handled. Mm-hmm. There are You're, people there. There's a yeah. support structure for Kenzie that can deal with that. Um, if we're going to try to save Tristan from this thing he's living in, how can you do that, Victoria? I mean, maybe you could like like offer scholarly advice on some of this stuff, but like people are going to need to do this. Like, this is not like Victoria crisis must, must deal with now must continue story. So Victoria can solve the next problem type thing. Right. Um, and, and I think the, the, the beauty of it is this is going to happen. Like I think Darnall says it perfectly. Like this is like the first crisis that Kenzie's had since the end of the world, basically. Yeah. Um, and how, how good, how uh, how good feeling that is but also like these moments are going to happen like i think it's easy to to be on this path to recovery and to be you know take doing this thing taking care of yourself saying i'm semi-retired those things are easy when the world is cool and good and then the second you're tempted the second something goes wrong the second there's a crisis it's very easy to fall back into those same patterns again and i think one of the things i love about this chapter as kind of ominous as it is is we're actually seeing very explicitly the breaking of those patterns um kind of just capped off with the fact that victoria is calling her therapist about all this stuff not like rushing off we'll get to that i'm getting ahead of ourselves but (laughs) I, i definitely think like this is pattern breaking not not relapse type stuff. I agree. Yeah. So 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 I guess I would just say that I don't know if it is as as ominous as maybe it it might seem on some levels. Sure. So, sure. Yeah, we'll get there though. Uh yeah, so Victoria's not getting into college because it's like double apocalypse. <laughs> so yeah. It's not the time. But I mean, I think this is important because it shows that she applied again, right? Yeah. Like she's not giving up. And I don't see her giving up after that rejection either. I, I think she's gonna apply again. Um and it, I think I, I am comfortable in saying that this is not a notification that is going to be near as devastating to her as it was uh, the when we saw it way back in the glowworm chapter. 
yeah yeah no that's that's a great parallel like because that you know she had to talk to crystal and, and everyone was shocked and it was it was a huge setback for her yeah that's perfect yeah mm-hmm. uh so yeah victoria is going to go over to annalise's house for dinner and a movie uh-huh. yeah uh, rat catcher who is obviously with foresight now sends a scandalous email from ethan's account uh, <laughs> you be good rat catcher don't you mean mousetrap i i get yes i, I, lo- like, I love that i like that name but the implication of it to me is that rat somehow equals villain and that makes me feel bad for rats they didn't they didn't do anything yeah yeah they i just, mean they carried a lot of diseases but that's not their fault yeah i mean they're they're survivors got a lot going for them yeah um, you, be, you be rat catcher still that can be a hero name yeah sure rat catchers are doing a public service <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> um so I don't know what Fitcher's bird is. Actually, okay, I wrote that line in the script, and then I went and I found out what it was. But Scott, tell me what Fitcher's bird is. Um, so Fitcher's bird is a fairy tale. It's a it's a one of the Brothers Grimm's collection of fairy tales um, that I guess in this world was made into a movie, um, possibly a a Disney movie, I, like a, an equivalent Disney movie, right? Where they took a fairy tale and and Disneyfied it, but. It's really interesting because the basic premise is that um, this evil sorcerer guy like kidnaps girls and then to to marry him, uh-huh. he locks them in his house and then goes away and says, all right, you can look anywhere you want in the house. But if you go in this one room, I'll kill you. Also, here's an egg. You have to hold this egg. And if you get the egg dirty, I'll kill you. Um, and so then he leaves the girls alone and one of them immediately goes into the room and finds a big bowl with a bunch of blood and body parts in it and gets so freaked out. She drops the egg in there and that stains it. So she gets killed and chopped up. The point is that at one point the youngest sister like outsmarts the sorcerer puts the body, the disparate body parts of her sister back together and they come back to life and that's, and then they burn the sorcerer man alive. Um, Uh the, The point is that like the idea of like, your younger sister finding you in pieces and then putting those pieces back together is like, I, I listen to that and I'm like, Victoria, <laughs> this, no. is, this is not yeah. a good, this is, do you, did you know? I mean, she says she hasn't seen it. So is this going to be a good date? I don't know if this could be a good date. I think this is going to be the worst date in the world. I'm, I'm sorry, Annalise. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because if, if, if we didn't read into that, we'd just be like, oh, they're going to get cozy and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Oh God! I mean, it's got eggs in there and everything. Yeah, it's got it's eggs. Got, it's got sisters putting people back together. Uh huh. Yeah, it's. I mean, not not at all triggering for our Victoria. Not at all. Oh my God! I still don't. I I, I need to I need to touch back on eggs at some point because we haven't yeah. talked about eggs in too long. But. I need you to write a one thousand word essay on eggs in board. That'll at, be at that'll be our last episode. Just yeah. me reading. We should be reading just, that yeah. on on air. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. All right. Uh, so Typhlosis reaches out to Victoria about helping with the plan to bring Valkyrie and Scenario back. Uh, so that's that's nice. Yeah. Um, so there's hope for these capes that we like. And, and Vicky's retirement uh, seems to really only extend to combat stuff because she's, you know, she's uh, she's in contact with all these other cape folks and doing capey things, just not just not punching people. Yeah, which like. I, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, she's still and always will be the cape nerd, whether she's flying around throwing 
people into dumpsters or not. Um, she's still a scholar and she's still going to want to do scholarly stuff. We actually learn that the plan that they're enacting here was one proposed by Victoria. Like she's the one that said, I think this can be done here. He, think, tr- try to make this work. And they're like, yeah, we think we got, we think this is possible. So would you be willing to help out? She's like, yeah, hell yeah. I'll fly to Japan. I'll uh-huh. do it. Yeah. How- I mean, if you can fly to Japan, why not? What is her top speed? Do we know that? I, th- I think it's like 60 miles per hour. So that's a long flight. It's a long flight. And yeah. You're going to bring some some food and a backpack. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I mean, it would be an adventure, right? Sure. Get your force field and you're not going to freeze. No. Um, yeah. So that that's cool. Uh, Sveta sends her a link, which is like a great news story about the majors, formerly the major malfunctions, taking down Lord of Lost, that pompous bastard. <laughs> Uh, apparently they beat him really quickly too, which is his icing on the cake. Um, and of course their newest member Limerick is a hit. Limerick. It's, uh, he's a five line poem, Matt. It's like art. It's, it's art. He's, it's a mixture of art and math. Yes. It's perfect. I love it. And he, and he, he's wearing this super, super colorful outfit. He's got dyed hair, a mask, a black and gold outfit with paint splashes of color on it. Despite his seemingly serious, taciturn personality. I love, I love this so yeah. much. I love it so much. There's so much to love here. Like, it, it's poetic in more than just the Limerick way, right? Yeah. Like, I, I love, I think it's it's withdrawal that says one of our mentors got shot at the community center attack. He played a part in that. He being Love Lost. And, or uh, Lord of Lost, sorry. Yeah. And so this is, again, kind of the book coming full circle and saying they, they took down this guy that hurt Fumehood, the person they really cared about, and also just happened to set forward a, a lot of the plot elements that, that carried the story uh, forward. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of, you know, wrapping that up at the end. And, and And I think one of the things that was most important to me here, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I don't think so. The positivity and optimism in which this story about hero capes is written. I I, th- I think like you can read what happens here and you can see in your head a version of the story told by an anti-parahuman publishing company, right? Like it, it goes from malfunctions have great day, take down notorious criminal, only casualty in fight, a tent to capes destroy tent in in petty battle like you know Uh like there's just there's just so many other ways you can frame it and i just love that like here at the end of the book we've been we've been told about how humans and capes have kind of come to this new equilibrium where the people that are more interested in capes are kind of staying around and the people less interested are kind of flocking to different areas but they can ask for help when they need it and and i to see that reflected in the media of the world i think is really great because this is this is positive. This is optimistic. This is, we've got a great new Cape force here and they're, and they're wonderful and, and effective. And, um, we're hopeful for their future. Like it's just relentlessly optimistic in, in a newspaper, which like, I, I just love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, especially compared to Glowworm, where it was just, a, there was at least one chapter in there where it was just like a list of all of these, sort of like anti-parahuman biased stories about yeah. just like here's another example of these two young people who uh are became axe murderers and their capes and yeah. uh it, yeah it's just like this 
the the whole the whole press attitude seems to be much more positive and you know covering these plucky young heroes and then and then all the comments are like yeah they're awesome yeah yeah, and, and, yeah. And, instead of like you know fuck capes yeah it's, um, like, so it's yeah, capes it's, faults it's, they yeah. failed us blah blah yeah there's none of yeah. that none of that at all it's great yeah I, it I, I, it's a it's a great way of subtly connecting back to the beginning and showing us that things are different now yep 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 uh, but the comment section, of course, is the best part because uh, we finally reveal the identity of Mlek, one of the major mysteries of Ward. <laughs> it's uh, it's Caden. It's the little. It's our, It's the antagonist of the story. It's, <laughs> well, like let let it never be said that Wildbow is not sometimes the most delightful troll in the world. Yes, um, I, I I literally like laughed out loud so loud that my wife was like what 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 is going on and i was like i can't explain this to you there's there's zero explanation except for um reading this book for two and a half years to see this moment which is just funny like it's just so funny i I, like it doesn't matter at all it's just really funny i laughed for like a solid minute just (laughs) deep deep belly laugh as soon as like as soon as it clicked right like it's funny because i at first i laughed when i saw mlek because i was like yeah. oh it's mlek delightful yeah. delightful that mlek would be here he's just gonna wait a second and then and then i and then i died yeah. <laughs> hey hey mlek you forgot to log out of your other account so oh good. my god yeah not only is not only is caden mlek but caden goes around complimenting himself yeah yeah oh it's perfect fucking caden yeah yeah but you skipped over the best line in the comment section though which is i'm 14 and i want him to look at me like he doesn't give a shit about me <laughs> oh, it's, oh it's, it's it's so true to the internet yeah, it's wonderful very very uh, good internet user voice yes um yeah uh so moving on from that uh <laughs> etna reaches out to victoria and is ignored okay we don't know she's ignored. Like uh-huh. it was only okay. sent 16 minutes ago. And since then she's dealing with a little bit of a crisis. So she might respond later. You don't know. Um, uh-huh. I, 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 ma- the, uh-huh. the point is that the throwing someone into a hill meme is textual in the story now. Yes. Which is the best it. thing ever. Like the first half of this chapter is wild Bo just having some fun. Like the book yeah. is over. We're in the epilogue. It's he's having fun. And, exactly. and not, not to say that the rest of the book wasn't fun to write or to read, but like, this is it. It's over. Yeah. This is the end. If there's any place that we can have fun in this way, it's here. Yeah. And Just it's delightful. Be a little bit silly. Ha- have some egg references. Yeah. Have, have, uh, like you said, throwing people in the hill to, to, to fix them references. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 I was like smiling this whole, this whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then, of course, that's pretty much the end of the of the overt smiling because we then go into this very serious part because mm-hmm. uh, because Dragon contacts Victoria about Kenzie's activities. And long story short is we learned that during the scene when Imp and the Heartbroken were trying to talk Kenzie down prior to her meltdown and her drugging, uh, she was actually in contact with Tristan uh, using the Crystal Befriender box. <laughs> uh, it, it actually seems like a lot of what's happening in in her like semi-autonomous boxes is like they're doing all these interrelated tasks that like it's impossible for her to do these things but they're they're decoding connecting and and figuring out the shard network for her yes um especially because he's occupied in this moment so they kind of have to be 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it takes you a bit. Uh, I, this whole setup is really wonderful for me. I think it takes you a bit to realize that the what's happening is we're hearing a conversation we've actually already heard. And that that is 100 percent true. The, the wording of the dialogue is identical to the way it was back in uh, Imp's interlude. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it yes. has to have been. Yes, yeah. it was Imp's interlude. Um, it's it's identical to that. And once you start to see that those beats that sound repetitive to you, like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. Oh, yeah, this is this. And, and, and once you realize that, I think it really kind of changes Kenzie's responses a little bit here because, you know, she's talking to Tristan the whole time that she's talking right. about Tristan, about like whether it's possible or not. Um, I, I think it, it really enriches the scene for me in a way that like on reread, I'm not going to read it the same way at all. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because the, the, I didn't pull it out, but like there's one sentence she says in there that's like borderline grammatical. And now I'm like, oh, well, she's like super distracted. So she's yeah, not really yeah. paying attention to what she's saying. Yeah. There's also a lot of fun, like we've gotten to the more serious part of the chapter, but I think Wildbo is still having fun in like the details of the code here. Like Crystal Befriender box gets a little overloaded because like it's trying to do too much because we see Crystal Befriender box reply is too many. Help me. Yeah. <laughs> and then we see Kenzie then tap other resources like we see Rain Workshop box, Projector box, RB, Portal Hyper box, Dragon Collab and Hair Clips are all tapped and also like she tries or the automated programming tries to tap into the warden base resource worm because she's like wormed her way into uh-huh. the, and, and and it's basically like hey if you do this dragon will notice and the wardens might get hurt do you still want to do it she says no she doesn't use that connection uh-huh. um it says like she declines it but there's a bunch of fun stuff here like like the rain workshop box reply to when connected is here to give you a hand, which is just <laughs> fucking Kenzie. Like she's adorable. Yeah. And, and the dragon box is here. Rar. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, there's so much, there's so much cleverness put into all of this. Right. Right. Like, right. And, like, and sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's amazing that this works as well as it does. Right. Sure. Sure. And yeah. that's why I like, I love when wild Bo experiments with these kind of, um, these kind of explorations of of different formats of telling a story. I think they're always interesting and fun. And and I think he always manages to use them in interesting ways. Like there is there is story to be gained from the lines of code outside of just the dialogue. Like like I think on first read, my tendency is to just skip all the stuff that's like the extraneous code stuff. Like I don't need to know that. But no, there's there's story in there. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I agree. Um that that's it it's it's like it's just on the border between being like impenetrable and being like rewarding you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you're like that's I, I can just skip over that right and then you're sure. like no no it's it's like easter eggs yeah it's fun mm-hmm. yeah so yeah we learned that tristan is only half buried he's, he's half buried half in dreams half able to see the world through byron's eyes and, you know, it's all very heartbreaking being interwoven with the dialogue from her team trying to talk her down as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the secret Kenzie has that she's worried is about to blow up. And Tristan is not just in the dream world, only partially so. And I love that Tristan is horrified that Kenzie went digging to discover mm-hmm. this. I love it because there's a dilemma now, right? Like you have you have two options here. You can do something about this, this information that you've learned, try to fix the problem, try to help Tristan 
and risk failing, which means that Byron now spends his entire life, his entire life, knowing that Tristan is in there somewhere, um, which will basically destroy Byron. Like, like Byron, I, 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 he's too empathetic of a person. Like, I don't, I don't know if he'll be able to handle that for the rest of his life. This idea that like, oh, Tristan's always there. He's like, he's behind me. He can't get out. Um, especially since he's felt that way himself, right? Like that's what Tristan did to him. Uh, Exactly. So that's, that's option one. Option two is lie. And then, then therefore Kenzie has to carry this burden of this truth for the rest of her life. And, and I love that Tristan's like, I can't ask you to, I can't ask a kid to do that. That's awful. Like, and so just her nosiness, her need to research and find out stuff has exposed a truth that, um, could destroy a ton of people. And, Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Like it's, it's a damned if you do damned, if you don't situation, like, like hopefully the solution is we try to save Tristan, at least give him peace, like allow him, like disconnect him from Byron in a way where he can just go to dream world and be, be in shard heaven with uh, the rest of the, the lost people rather than in this weird, like torturous limbo. Um, yeah. Ugh, ugh. Yeah. It's it all so you know, it's funny. I, I wonder if you happen to remember how long Byron was trapped inside inside the Tristan. Uh not Cause exactly I, cause months. I, yeah, months. it was months. Because it's just I was just thinking this is, you know, this is also months, right? At, yeah, th- at yeah. this point. So it's just an interesting interesting symmetry that uh at, at this point Tristan has basically been trapped for as long as Byron was, plus or minus. I, mm-hmm. I think this has been longer now, actually, but He's it's, only half strapped, so whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's his weird kind of half existence, right? Where it's yeah. like he's half dreaming, half uh, aware. Ugh. Yeah, I do wonder where this is going to go, or even if this is going to go anywhere, because you know, I mean, I think we react the same way Victoria reacts, where she's like, "Oh shit, what are we going to do about this?" And 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 we're like, "Oh shit, what are we going to do about this?" And and the truth is like this story's over. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't think we're going to, I don't think, I mean, we may, they may, they may save Tristan in the next, in the next uh, short number of chapters, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we don't, if we don't know, if we don't find out, if we just have maybe a hope, maybe a, maybe a suggestion that there's a path one way or the other, but um, sometimes you don't get to see the resolution of, of every single thing. And I think that that might work well with the themes of this book. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I do think there's going to be a Byron centric chapter before the end. Um, yeah, so, so it would feel weird to me if we had a Byron chapter that doesn't address this in some way, um, whether n- possibly not directly, but I, I, I feel like it's going to address this one way or another. Um, I, I agree with you that I don't know. I like, I don't know if the whole chapter is going to re- revolve around solving this problem or not. Um, I think part of it could, and then maybe we move on to something else because I mean, like we, we learn through Victoria, her conversation with Darnall that Byron, like his six months or however many it's been four, five months haven't been great. Like he's not doing great. He's still, even before he learns, if he learns this information about Tristan, he's still having a really hard time with his brother's death. He's not doing great. And I I think we need to, we need to set him on a path forward around that in some way. It doesn't have to be like, Oh, he's fine now. And, and he, there's like, we just need to do something with that. Um, And I think the, the instigation for him getting to a, a, hopefully a, a, 
brighter place around his brother's death is probably going to circle around this this concept of limbo. Um, and I wonder, like, I wonder if it's going to be something like uh, communication between the two, you know, because that's one thing we never got in the story, right? Like we Kenzie was working for a very long time to be able to hear one person, the person that was inside. And and so we never had these two brothers since their trigger be able to talk to each other, like really like not their fast switchy thing, you know, where they were like taking over and then back, but really just like having a conversation. And I wonder if before we end this book, these two brothers will have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want to happen. I think, I think I said something like months and months ago about like, I desperately just want the scene where they are able to talk like Mm -hmm. face, face to face, ideally. Right. 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 Um, that's, I I mean, I, I know better than to, than to hope for things like that. (laughs) But that's what I've wanted, right? That's like that's that that is the the yearning that has been installed in my heart by the way the story has progressed and just made right. me want these two brothers to to be able to get along and to support each other. Um, because I think that's probably what Byron needs. Byron needs Tristan. Tristan needs Byron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we uh, we cut to Victoria flying to see Darnall, freaking out about the implications of all this. She's uh, she's disappointed in herself. For missing another potential lookout catastrophe right under her nose um and she's also just saying fuck a lot right right so i, I i'm gonna say something and i want to preface what i'm about to say with the statement that what kenzie and tristan are going through here is awful and i do think in some way the rest of the epilogues are going to be dealing with part of that at least i don't know uh, tristan is in kind of a limbo hell and i think that's probably going to be resolved in some way or another but throw all that away right now because the important part of this conversation is not Victoria or is not Tristan is not Kenzie. It's Victoria and how Victoria reacts to this news because she calls her fucking therapist, Matt Wayne. She calls, first of all, she calls him Wayne. She calls him Uh by his first name. It's not Dr. Darnall. She calls him Wayne and she calls her therapist, calls him by his first name. This, this shows how much their relationship has changed and strengthened over these months. Um, we, we also, we skipped over this, but we saw in the email, uh, chain that she had an email from him reminding him or reminding her of a appointment. So it's pretty clear that she's going to him regularly. Um, she's practicing self care for like the first time ever. Um, Uh But like we've been talking about all episode, there's a crisis and Victoria immediately starts doing the same thing Victoria always does when there's a crisis. Thing number one, she blames herself. This is my fault. I did this. I should have seen this. And therefore, I need to fix it. I, 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 I got to do this. I got to do this. But there's something different here. And it's not just um, her reaction. It's everything. So this is not a normal chapter of writing in a, in a wild bow story, right? This is all dialogue and it's all dialogue because the point of view here is the phone conversation. The phone Uh is our point of view. We are not in either of these characters heads right now. We are just hearing what they're saying over the phone. And the difference here is Victoria is saying these things, not thinking them Uh like we have been party to Victoria's head for one point eight. I don't know how many we're up to one point eight million words. And we've heard her say all these things to herself over and over and over again. She's not 
thinking them anymore. She's saying them to a therapist. She's not immediately acting on them. Is she rushing to Kenzie's house right now? Is she rushing to go check on Byron? Is she rushing to go call her team? Is she calling up Sveta and saying, we got to do something? Is she calling up the wardens and saying, how are you going to help me do something? No. She called her therapist and she's rushing to his office yeah. to get help with this. We are robbed of, in, of Victoria's internal monologue by a structural choice that Wildbow made, but it doesn't matter because she's verbalizing her inner monologue for maybe like the first time ever uh-huh. to a person that can help her, that can talk her down, that can make her see that the solution here is for you, Victoria, to do nothing. Come here. Talk to me. We'll figure this out. Know that those people have people that are taking care of them. And you might can help in the future, maybe. Like, you're smart. You understand shards in a way that nobody else does. Maybe you can help there. But come here. Talk to me. Let's come up with a plan. Let's let's do this the way that emphasizes self-care, that emphasizes what is most important to you right now is you. And trust that other people will take care of it. And it's incredible. Like, yeah. uh, like just... I, I love... Like, Wadbo could have just switched to a normal chapter here, right? Like, he could have... And I think he's done it before where, like, part of it was some fancy, like, pair of humans online or... or st- and then, like, we switch over from that to normal uh, normal writing, like, normal chapter writing. But he doesn't do that. This is just a phone conversation. Like, like, like I said, we, we don't get to hear what Victoria is thinking. But also... We do get to hear what Victoria is thinking. And yeah. I just find that I just find that wonderful. I find that like I did not feel like I was missing any part of the scene because I couldn't hear Victoria's thoughts. I, I felt yeah. like this was totally in line with the Victoria I know. Um, and I, I felt I, I think it's a perfect way of showing the ways in which she's changed and grown because she's willing to express these things out loud. These things she's thinking. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think that she probably is being more completely open with with Wayne, as we'll call him now, <laughs> than really she probably ever was with Jessica. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think maybe 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 Wayne is speaking to her at a level that 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 works better for her than yeah. than she's ever been able to find before. Right. Um. You know. I mean, the fact that she's continuing to see him and and that she this is her go to guy. This is the guy she's got on speed dial when she has a crisis even after months um, really speaks to this idea that, you know, like, like you're saying that yeah. she, um, she has really opened up to him. She's really gotten better at, uh, at pinning down and, and identifying these thought processes that don't necessarily serve her. Um, I mean, I, I like, I like the part where she kind of like freaks out about the idea that, that a trainee be given responsibility for Kenzie, but like um, even, even the way she kind of blows up about that is like, it struck me as like the way you can sort of hyperbolically blow up at a friend and, and you both know that you're not really mad, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. like, like she's not, she's not really being like, are you fucking stupid? Darn all. She, she, she's like, that's ridiculous. Like, like it, it's, right, it's, right. it's a, it's a communication between people who know each other really well. So I'm trying to say, yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, like, like Riley doesn't stop being, Riley just because she's on this path Victoria doesn't stop being Victoria either and I think her like calling out 
Darnell on stuff that she finds absurd is just vintage Victoria. Yeah, like, yeah. like the, are you, you, are you fucking like, yeah. <laughs> are you fucking getting me? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. She's not going to become a entirely different person. It's just the way she reacts to things is going to change. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Um, Victoria doesn't call up her therapist eight, 10 months ago in the middle yeah. of a crisis. She flies out there to deal with it herself. Right. Um, yeah. She, yeah. She goes to, to punch Tristan right out of Byron's head. Yeah. That'll solve it. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, that, that's, that's it. That, yeah, that's that's that chapter. So um, we do leave on a little bit of an ominous note, but but like I said, I I really do think this is still hopeful because it shows in action six months later who Victoria is. Now. Yeah. Um, and she's a person that calls her therapist when sh- bad shit happens. So does this mean that we're probably going to get Byron next, or or not not Byron, but uh, some perspective on Byron? So a Vista chapter then? Yeah, I mean. A Vista chapter would make the most sense because I think that would be a perfect way to say goodbye to Vista as well, who um, hasn't been a big focus in the story, but has gotten some time. Um, and I, I want to see where the story leaves her. You know, this like this poor girl who watched who her, her family became the wards and then she watched them all die and she kind of committed herself to this life of caping more than anything in the world. Um, I, I want to see where the story leaves her. I want to see how she's doing here on the other side of, of the second apocalypse. Um, yeah. So I, I would like that. Um, but I, I do think, I do think next is probably Byron. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I feel like the Tristan stuff will be wrapped up by the end of E6 and then I think E7 is going to be um, our our final goodbye uh-huh. for everyone. I've I've been I've been anticipating a crystal interlude for this entire book. We haven't had like a full crystal interlude, have we? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, that's I'm I'm still holding out that 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 the final uh, the Victoria the final Victoria perspective interlude is going to be yeah crystal. Um, do you think but, <laughs> that Natalie gets nothing? <laughs> Natalie will like be on the phone uh, with someone else while they're in the room. And then, yeah, no, that's here's, it. here's the, the final interlude is going to be Vista's birthday party. Uh-huh. Um, and I think Sveta and Victoria will be talking and Victoria, Sveta will be like, uh, I don't see, I don't see Natalie. Where's Natalie at? And Victoria will be like, Oh fuck. Fuck. <laughs> I forgot to invite her. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's good. The end. Um, yeah, I like that. My my theory for the ending is is that Mark begins to to explain we were on a boat when we were attacked, and then and then the credits roll. <laughs> um, um, all right, well, I, I'm 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 really I don't know I'm really, for some reason I guess it's not for some reason it's not that mysterious. I'm really excited to see how the like like what exactly the next two. You know what exactly the the uh, the ending of the story is exactly sure. precisely. Sure. Okay, yeah. cool. Let's move on into discussion question discussion. <laughs> well, well said. I it's guess it's the discussion of the discussion question. <laughs> uh, so the the question was best odd couple in parahumans. Um, yeah, and I think this is a, a failure on my part to explain what odd couple means. Um, the standard definition of odd couple is. Two people that are like so different that it seems crazy that they would be together. Um, we got some answers that were that and we got some people that just took the word odd and couple yeah. and made like who are the weirdest fucking people out there, right. which is I a guess, fine answer. Yeah, 
I guess everybody in this story is kind of odd, right? Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, yeah. So from Rid Tom, we have uh, they're talking about Star Song, which is apparently the ship name for Ashley and Victoria. Um, <laughs> they ask, uh, really, how did they become friends? Most likely, despite their many differences, uh, they both have something the other wants, or that they both want. Victoria admires Ashley's ability to project confidence and find a way of holding herself um, as elegant, even at, uh, sorry, when at her best. Ashley admires Victoria's ability to communicate respectfully with others and the keen eye she has for the people she cares about. Victoria and Ashley both long for rec- uh, recognition from their peers, friends, and loved ones, Ashley having lived without them and Victoria having had them stripped away against her will. Victoria and Ashley both wish for a second chance after their former lives and deaths, wishing to make an impact on the world for the better. Um, Even their costumes are opposite color matched. Uh, As much as Ashley may lecture about towels, Swansong drapes herself in white while Antares contrasts in black. To say nothing of how Ashley's hair and costume were basically inspired by Victoria's ideals. Uh, It's a lovely friendship no matter how you view it. Uh, Both prospered having allowed the other to find a connection in the new world uh, where the rules have changed. Love it. I like that. I think one of the cool things about Ashley and Victoria is on the surface, they seem so diametrically opposed, but the more you learn about them, the more you see the ways in which they are very similar. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I like the question being posed though, because we didn't really get a microscopic, uh, you know, investigation of how their friendship happened. They just, they, they, they were living together and they gradually became friends, mm-hmm. which is really how most friendships happen. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, I don't think most friendships have a moment where like, and now we are friends. Right, yeah. How did you and I become friends, Scott? Uh, I, think, I think we lived in the same hallway and then we yeah, became friends. Yeah, yeah. There you we, go. Saw, we saw each other a lot and then we decided to uh, consciously make the decision to do that more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have Sarah Penguin who says, so we have Dauntless, the closest thing to a stereotypical hero for the sake of good. He would be called a good trigger and is happy to risk himself to protect others. He is the hometown hero and people question if he might one day get strong enough to beat an Endbringer. Turns out, yes, he does. Then we have Fumehood, a girl who acts shitty and becomes literal poison to those around her. Unlike Dauntless, she's a villain who is all over the place. Endless name changes on and off with Blasto, asshole tattoo, and interestingly placed piercings. Deep down, she has a bit of Dauntlessness, heroicness, and with help from Victoria and the malfunctions, she finds it. That heroicness inside them both, along with the desire to protect a young persons they care for, leads them to form the unlikeliest of duos as the titans with the gooey human center fighting other titans to save the humans. So this is wonderful. <laughs> Sarah Penguin has said Fumehood and Dauntless are the odd couple, and I, I love it. I love it. I yeah. I also love the idea that there was speculation that he could be powerful enough to defeat an Inbringer, and then that totally happens. Yeah, so. it, it did totally happen. Um, the fact that they are called Eve and Kronos is interesting due to the crossovers between their origins, both from a creation story. Eve from humans and Kronos from the Greek gods, both born from Earth. Eve was made from Adam's rib, but he was made from dirt, so his rib was also dirt. So technically, she's also dirt. <laughs> Kronos was born from earth and sky having sex. True. Both existed in a paradise. Eve Eve had the Garden of Eden. Kronos, after castrating the sky, became the king of the Titans, living in a golden age where laws didn't exist because everyone was always good. Their downfall was both eating. They were both punished unpleasantly and both created, created and creator. Eve was made by God, but she's also the mother of all humans, being the first to give birth. Kronos was made by the earth and sky, but he also created Zeus and his siblings. 
some great fun connections with with Eve and Kronos. I, I, I like that answer. I never would have thought of that. That's really creative. I like it. Yeah, that is fascinating. I uh, uh, I'm kind of blown away. Honestly, that's that's really cool. I never would have thought of those uh, or, or even thought to connect those two characters mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and w- did I read the name of the? Yeah, I, I, Rid Tom was the first comment. I don't remember if I read the name. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I think I did. Uh, Impona forty five says SMH best odd couple is Lisa X Victoria. Matt, do you know what SMH means? It means shaking my head. Okay, good. I just you're you're getting old now. I just <laughs> need to make I just need to make sure you you're up on the lingo. I, I wish I had I wish I'd been able to pull out a a wrong but humorous uh, <laughs> uh, uh, interpretation, but no. No. Uh, Lisa and Victoria is a great answer. Um, and I agree. They didn't feel the need to elaborate, and because it speaks for itself, Lisa and Victoria. Right. I think we've talked about them as being an odd couple fairly recently. So, yes, yeah. I agree. And then we had arguably one of the greatest arcs in the story, which is Lisa and Victoria solve crime together, which is yeah. just mm, love it. Yeah. I still love, love that so much. Um, Extas Nouveau says, Which couple isn't odd in parahumans? The bearded nerd and his C colon slash dragon slash girlfriend dot bat the struggling lesbian villain and hero couple the nazi breeding program couple the i puke in your mouth and make you stronger couple see while i agree that those are odd people i think all those people are perfect for yeah. each other yeah they're, they're perfect matches yeah mm-hmm. i um, mean like puking in your mouth to make you stronger is literally like synergy yeah i mean all i mean i think the point is all of these couples are kind of weird and disturbing and yes and uh yeah yeah um Okay. Well, okay. The first two aren't weird and disturbing, but they're they're very un, they're very unusual. Let me put it that way. I think I could argue that uh, that Parian and and Foil kind of make an odd couple. But yeah. I, like Parian never really wanted to be a villain, you know. So like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's I, I think if you portray them as like upstanding hero and villain who rips people's skin off, that's one thing. But that's not really a fair characterization of who Parian is. So. Um, all right. Next comment. Daedalus Fallen says uh, the best comedy goes to side piece and disjoint hands down. Their power interaction and personal chemistry are just too good for the amount of screen time they get. Uh, they also are up there. Um, sorry, they're up there in terms of functionality in their relationship, because while they may, may be villains, they're not half bad to each other. The oddest couple goes to whoever the hell imp dated back in Brockton Bay during the time skip. You can try to convince me it wasn't Kid Win, but it won't work because it was totally Kid Win. <laughs> I love it. I, it's funny. I, I forgot about that, and now I have to think about that for a while. Uh, best odd couple is the, fi- the final answer is Dragon and Defiant. They're odd because it's a dude and a robot. It's also a heartwarming story about people influencing each other to become better. Defiant through personal philosophy and Dragon through becoming closer code-wise to a normal human. Their chemistry is through the roof in every way and they steal almost every scene they're in even when they're alone. So together, they stick out even more. Their epilogue last time was awesome and I hope that we get to see just a little bit more of them this time around. Yeah, yeah, maybe we will. I don't know. Do you think we'll see any more Dragon and Defiant? I mean, we saw uh, an email from Dragon. Um, That counts. That that does technically count. Uh, I I don't think, I I, I don't know. 
maybe we'll see them at the at the, like if there's actually like a Brockton Bay reunion because sure. uh, because uh, Defiant did start there. Yeah, I, I have this thing where like I was I should have said this while you were talking about it, but where I was like both completely understanding why Dragon reached out to Victoria about the whole Kenzie situation, and I was also like, damn it, Dragon, why did yeah. you? Why you? You know what she's gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of I kind of agree. All right. We have next up, we have Dianthus Amarensis, who says Darlene and Chicken Little. You've got the bright eyed, feather tailed Aiden, who just wants everyone to work together and be friends. And Darlene, who constantly needs to be asked whether she's resisting the urge to stab Kenzie. It's kind of adorable the way Aiden has to try really hard to look intimidating and just ends up looking silly. And Darlene's natural demeanor screams terrifying. Uh, They also list Brian and Lisa, obviously not romantic. It's never explicitly focused on, but with Brian being the person assigned to make sure Lisa doesn't go off the deep end with her conclusions, he's one of the only people Lisa is willing to actually listen to. He comes off as a little bit of a cloud cuckoo Lander's Lander's minder, if you know your TV tropes. I I thought I did, but I don't know that, so I guess Um, I don't. (laughs) There's a lot of them. Yeah. I was glad to see them hanging out again on the battlefield at the end of Ward. It's cool that Lisa has Victoria as a friend, but it's even cooler that now she has two friends. And then Dianthus also wrote Eric and Scenario, and they did a strike through through it, but I still saw it. And so uh, Dianthus says Eric and Scenario. Uh-huh. Odd couple. Yeah, that that's my favorite one so far. Yep. Vice Versailles says... I know it's been a book, but we can't forget about Golem and Weaver. An odd couple indeed, the ex-Nazi and the ex-Warlord who killed the triumvirate member. I think Taylor th- uh, taught Theo to be the hero she couldn't be, and I think he learned most of those lessons without her help. The two have a lot of uh, hefty parallels. Taylor wanted to be a hero, but became a villain because she needed good people in her life. Theo was raised to be a villain, but became a hero to escape the bad people in his life. Yet both triggered from being trapped and abandoned, and both handled their trauma with restraint and aplomb. There's a great deal of who you could have been in the comparison between the two. I stand by that Golem doesn't have a mantin limit after all. It's not like there's skin on his fans to demonstrate, but absence is not proof to the contrary. <laughs> what That's the fuck? Horrifying, what the fuck? It's a horrifying thought. Oh my God. Thanks for, I'm sure we both immediately visualize what exactly he's talking about here. Yes. Um, At the same time, their relationship is that of a student and the mentor. Taylor took special interest in teaching him to fight well and train better, and it's fair to say that she's probably why he's so buff even now. I think the reason she she put in that effort is because Theo still had the opportunity to be a real hero, while her own career was always going to be tarnished by that one time she conquered a city. Yes, her focus on him was a vent for her frustrations about not being able to find, to, to find and fight the 9,000, uh, but I think there's room for the grizzled veteran's redemption arc there. Once again, uh, Taylor didn't re- teach Golem everything he knows. Yes, he's a good fighter, but goddamn, Theo's a good person too. Anyway, kind of crazy how she shot his sister, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was a good answer. Um, it was such a good answer, actually, that we our next person, Brick Manor, also lists uh, Golem and Taylor. I think Golem's interlude in particular really establishes the difference in their worldviews and priorities at the start of Taylor's time with the Chicago Wards. Although we didn't get to see much of it, their shared purpose and interactions when the Slaughterhouse Nine come back is fun to see. They've got a cool rapport and an interesting relationship despite everything, like Taylor's murder of his half-sister. <laughs> I hope we get to see some Golem in the epilogues to come. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we could in that final one. Um, yeah, if it is, if it is really, Bay. yeah, if that is what it is, then we'll probably see a lot of these, even if it's just like, yep, there's Golem. Mm-hmm. He's doing good. He's being, yeah. being buff. 
he's got a got a uh i don't know somebody's gonna yell at me for forgetting her name uh grace no look he's got a lot of ladies you really can't keep track oh shit i'm fired oh well (laughs) i can't remember either man okay i I don't think it we'll we'll see her in uh e7 right yes we will yes we will uh wanson says gregor the snail and shamrock gregor is as far as parahumans go one of the chillest dudes ever he doesn't like the way he looks like but he learned to accept it early on he put his all into finding out who was responsible for his misfortune, but once he found Cauldron, he didn't join the Irregulars' raid, showing either a healthy fear of Contessa um, um, or, or, or that his family with Fault, Fault Line's crew was more important to him than getting uh, uh, answers slash revenge. We don't actually know a lot about Shamrock, but as far as KCC3s go, she's basically the polar opposite of Gregor. She's very attractive without any of the usual deformities. Also, uh, she has all of her memories, unlike the other Cauldron experiments. So basically, Cauldron, basically Gregor has every reason to be envious of her, but instead they wind up happily married. It's a great answer. Yay. I love yeah. them. Those are the two where I was just like so happy when we saw them in Ward mm-hmm. and was like, oh, they're just, they're just happy. They are. There's, so no, there's no horrible catch. <laughs> it's, I'm so surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, last but not least, we have Sanjay who says Brandish and Flashbang. I like them because I'm an old man and not as interested in teenage romance drama as I once was. It's a charm of this kind of longer form narrative that we can have mature lived in relationships. I love that they have broken up and tentatively got back together. I love that old people can get some love in light of the old man. These two are darn right ancient. I love that they are background characters and their love story is not front and center. Carol is so damn interesting. She's a lawyer, a superhero, a victim, a ball of trauma, and an insane dance mom. <laughs> oh, like dance moms. Like, I get it. I get yeah, it. Like, yeah. like the reality TV show. Yeah. Right. Everything about this character really fits. We feel her influence through, throughout the story in Victoria's memories, attitudes, skills, habits, and deeds. Wildwell manages to weave all this together in such a way that whenever we learn something new about her, be it that she needs to sleep with the lights on or her makeout session with Uncle Neil, it had me saying, yeah, that tracks. I'm not as in love with him, but Mark is pretty interesting, too. He seems undermotivated compared to the ultra-driven Carol. I don't remember him ever holding down a job and do recall New Wave having money trouble. Maybe he was a stay-at-home dad whilst being a superhero? Victoria makes it clear he had some serious shortcomings as a father. Her memories and narration also give me the impression that Carol was doing the lion's share of the parenting. I'm not sure if that's a right reading or how much of the text supports that, but that was my takeaway. We know there's more to it than him just being chill or lazy. The book makes direct references to his clinical depression and layers of brain damage. Ward also lets us know that he hung out with Russian mercenaries. Given her trauma, it might make sense that she feels... Carol feels safest with a strongly manly man that she can totally push around. It also felt right that a rudderless guy like him might just breathe easier with a Carol to guide him. Um, that's some really good stuff. I never really thought about them in this regard, but I do think that they are kind of odd couple in, in that they're very different kinds of people. Um, but I don't, where is their relationship at the end of this book? I really don't remember. It's not great, um, but it's not terrible. I mean, they were physically in the same place, so that's good. Like, yeah, they, they uh mark had gone to take care of um or rather mark had stayed behind to sort of keep an eye on amy mm-hmm. um that's kind of it's kind of all we know i mean mark mark is 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 a relatively passive person mm-hmm. and we we haven't really spent time in his head so it's difficult to really know exactly um yeah i'm not like i'm not like super hopeful 
<laughs> super hopeful for like their marriage going forward. Um, I think they've got so many issues. Maybe yeah. they'll work. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. If they if they have the opportunity to fight crime together, then you know that's kind of they they've kind of got the uh, uh, the the night owl. Um, um, you can do it. You can um, do it. Jupiter. <laughs> Miss Jupiter. No. 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 What is it? It's Silk Spectre, right? Silk Spectre. What the fuck did I get Jupiter from? I, I don't know. Anyway. Maybe because she goes to Mars? No. Like, I think your name, I think your real name. It might be. Is, I, I haven't read you. Watchmen in a long time. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> they kind of got that thing going on. Sure, 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 sure. Um, all That's right. it. That, yeah, that was it. That was it. Um, discussion question for next week. This this one's... Uh, pr- I like this one. What is your favorite part slash moment of Ward? Yeah, this is it. This is the last discussion question. This is it. Yeah. So uh, I think what we're going to ask for this one is, please be as brief as possible. Right. <laughs> like, we get a lot of long answers, and we like reading as much of your answer as possible because kind of truncating it messes it up. So... Um, Feel free to to talk about whatever you want. It doesn't have to be a specific moment. It could be a character arc, anything. This is the final dis- board discussion question. All bets are off. Just try to keep it short. Yeah, or I might specifically say to give a TLDR if you want to ramble for a bit. Sure, 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 yeah. All right, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. That same Twitter account is where I will be live reading the final two chapters of this book, Matt. We're there. It's it's happening. Sunday, two chapters, then I'm done. I can't handle it. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at moradinamail. I did it. That's right. You did it. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find, once again, Do the Right Thing. What is Do the Right Thing, Matt? Uh, it's a writing prompt podcast where you uh, once a week you take 30 minutes, you set aside a, a tight 30 minutes of your day and you and you write a story using three or four random words from, from the prompt. And it can be about anything as long as it has those words. It's a really, really good exercise um, if you're someone who who wants to write more, wants to try their hand at writing. Um, and then, of course, the podcast is uh, the, the two hosts, uh, Matthias and Jarvis discuss the stories they wrote that week, what they learned, um, and uh, discuss uh, a couple of the stories from the uh, people participating in the prompt. And overall, I think it's a great thing to participate in. It's great to listen to. And you should check it out if you haven't yet. Yeah. And here I'm going to extend to you a further challenge. Here's what I'm doing. If you have not written for this week's Do the Right Thing yet, um, which they're due on Friday, uh, Friday at midnight, I believe, write it. But write it like Wild Bo wrote the Parahumans Online chapter. Do do like a cool email thing or like uh-huh. a cool 
a, a messenger program thing or something something like that. Do it like a, a screen sample thing. I think that'd be a fun exercise. It kind of stretches different writing muscles um, and just spend 30 minutes on it. Knock it out. Use those three words and submit it to do the right thing. And they might talk about your story on their show. So uh, you can check out that show at doofmedia.com or you can go to their subreddit. It's r slash do the right thing. Yeah. Write W-R-I-T-E, like writing. Yeah. So, I did one that had kind of a I am thing in it. I, I was did. pretty pleased with that one. You did. It was great. Cool. Um, yeah. So if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon at the $45 per month level allows you to select a TV show, book, or video game for us to do an episode of, um, an episode of the Doofcast about, rather. Um, basically, uh, this almost always results in us talking about anime, but hey, you know, sometimes it's Cowboy Bebop, and we like Cowboy Bebop. So. Yeah. Um, this as well as every other level gives you the ability to vote in our quarterly fan art and costume contest and the ability, sorry, and, and the excellent discord chat. Um, as always, make sure you go on over to Wildbo's Patreon at patreon.com slash Wildbo and donate to him as well. This is his world. We are just playing in it. Yeah. And now is it's the end of one book, one in a very popular series, and it's a transition to him writing something new and something different. So I think now is the perfect time to donate because it's a scary time (laughs) As, as a content creator. Switching from one thing to switching to another is a scary time. And and so you can help alleviate some of that stress by rewarding him for his amazing work. So seriously, patreon.com slash wildbo, uh, donate, 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 um, please absolutely yep uh so this week special thanks to new patrons new bidoof bread boy uh new doof dancers alexa b dennis b uh crystal l who's upgraded and giora m new doof troop member um ian p and new supreme leader doof thomas a wow thanks so much everyone really appreciate that and uh hope to see y'all around yeah thank you so much everyone um I, we're getting like we said last week, some of these might be people listening to other shows. Um, but if you're listening to the show and you heard your name, thank you personally. And of course, all of you, all, uh, however many patrons we have now, it's a lot. Thank you guys so much. It's, it's really like, I was talking to Matt today, how, like how it just incredible it is to like, look back We're we're, we're doing this thing where the show's coming to an end and we're being, we're looking back at the last, you know, three years since we started, we've got warm, but two and a half years doing we've got ward it's a long it was a long project we've been we've been on the ride the whole time and and so it's been an amazing experience and and really those of you that have supported us either financially or just with your time or with sharing or talking and interacting with us um thank you it's wow wow i'm gonna get way more emotional on the final episode but it's starting it's starting to hit me matt it's starting to hit me it's it's only it's only just starting to hit me to the to the extent where what you just said I was like oh my god it's real <laughs> yeah. um, but yes everything Scott just said um, thank you so much mm-hmm. uh, this has been a fantastic experience and and yeah a couple more weeks of it yep that's it H- hold it together Matt all right that's all <laughs> we got for you this week next week um, I think we're gonna finish this book I think we are too fuck yeah. yeah.